Welcome to Dyslexics Wanted, produced by the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia. This is Jordan Rich. This podcast celebrates the unique strengths and creativity so often the hallmark of people with dyslexia. Today, we welcome a multidisciplinary artist, very popular in the UK. Her name is Michelle Baharier. And whether it's poetry or dress designing, photographs, paintings, or a whole host of mediums, she is one successful and well-respected artist. Michelle will share with us her journey with dyslexia, how she's adjusted and conquered any stumbling blocks along the way to a celebrated career in the arts. She also founded Cool Tan Arts, a nonprofit charity organization promoting art and the disabled community. We'll talk about that, as well as her very popular psychogeography walks that involve a little bit of exercise, a bit of helpful meditation, and of course, an introduction to people, places, things, all with an artistic bent. We're very happy to welcome Michelle Baharier, who's joining us from her studios in England, another leader we're happy to highlight right here on Dyslexics Wanted. I am so delighted to meet you. You're as beautiful and your hair is as multicolored as your artwork. Hello and welcome to Dyslexics Wanted, the podcast, Michelle. Hi, nice to meet you too. And, and it's lovely, isn't it? Do you know what I really like about Zoom? Is I can be in London and meet you somewhere in the USA. It's made, it's as crazy as the last two years have been. This has been one development that has made my life and the lives of my guests so much easier. And we are connected. So that's wonderful. It's great to see you. I I don't know where to begin, but why don't we start with your personal story of dealing with dyslexia? And then I want to highlight all the amazing work you're doing, the beautiful work you're doing as an artist and elsewhere. Talk a little bit about childhood experience and dealing with this that that we talk about all the time here on the show okay so I wasn't diagnosed until I was nine years old and when I was diagnosed it was because I couldn't read or write and I was lucky enough to have a teacher in what we call junior school Mm -hmm. and my third year of junior school and she noticed that my drawing ability was really good but somehow how come I couldn't read and write? And that didn't quite match up. So, and my parents also kept complaining that I wasn't getting anywhere at school. So anyway, she called in what was called then a school psychologist Mm -hmm. and the school psychologist came in and it was the weirdest thing. And I'll never forget it. This woman had her in the seventies, it was kind of, late 60s, early 70s, people shaved off their eyebrows and penciled them in. (laughs) And I had to look at these cards and tell them what was missing. And she gave me a card of someone with no eyebrows. And I was kind of looking at the no eyebrows and looking at her thinking, dare I say this person has got no eyebrows. (laughs) She'd got no eyebrows, but I did. Um, And she came back with her diagnosis that I was dyslexic and I needed special education, as it was known as then. So once Mm. a week, myself and a few other kids got taken out of classrooms and we used to go. There was an old house that was part of our school and we used to go there and have our our special classes. Um, I wouldn't recommend it on one level because you then get known as the thick, stupid kids at school. Mm. You, you become incredibly tough because you don't have much chance right. to be anything else. Right. So um, you had to learn to argue back 
and and to protect yourself from the insults. Did you find at that point when you were getting the special classes that it was making a difference? Were you able to read better, uh, write better because of the education you were getting, the special ed training? Yeah, definitely. Good. I mean, once I had the special education training, I learned to read reasonably quickly. But one of the methods that I had to learn to read with was having a piece of paper with a hole in it so that I only saw one word at a time on a page. And even now, sometimes I have to do that. I can't deal with a page full of text. Yeah. It just makes my eyes go kind of what? all over the place. <laughs> what, was there also, and by the way, may I say, I love your speaking voice. I love your accent. I just want to hear you speak all day. But was there also an audio component? Were you having difficulty sort of parsing sentences that were spoken orally? Yeah, I mean, I actually have um, an A audio deficit. So there's a number of sounds that I don't actually hear. So I've had to learn certain things. So it's taken me years to learn words like Pacific or propaganda or there's all sorts of words that the sounds I don't quite hear. Interesting. But you're not, um, you're not, let me just say this, you're not deaf. You're not listed I'm, as I'm hearing not impaired. Deaf. Right. No, although as I mature. <laughs> well, we all are in that camp. I'll, I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, we're talking here about your early days and about the experiences. You did mention the visual uh, acuity, the visual talent that you had. Mm. Was Was this something you were doing out of school, you know, drawing and visually creating and so forth? Or, or when did that really take hold for you, Michelle? Oh, I think I've always had it. So mm -hmm. even, even one of the things I did, you know, when you're supposed to learn to write, instead of learning to write the letters, I turned that all into patterns uh -huh. and didn't stick to writing the letters because I just got carried away with making shapes and making the paper look pretty. And that's not what you're supposed to do, is it? So I've always had that. It, it's just something, um, you know, if I go to meetings, most of my meetings end up with a book full of drawings and maybe an odd note. I'll draw people mm. at the meetings. And actually that helps me remember what was said sometimes more than if I wrote a note, but nobody else could decipher that. Right, right. But these and, are these are workarounds for you that have enabled you to do what you love and to do the art that is affecting people all over the world. I mean, if you th said that to yourself when you were nine years old, that you'd be doing what you're doing today, would you have believed it? <laughs> no, no. I think when I was nine years old, my prospects looked pretty bad pretty poor you know it's like when you're asked to stand up in class and read from a book you know because the teacher will go around and get everyone to read I couldn't read so I would throw something or be disruptive right so that I wouldn't get noticed and I think something that perhaps doesn't get acknowledged is that when you have difficulties like this you you build up ways to avoid doing them and I think the person who was the most relieved of all when they found out I was dyslexic was my dad. Because mm. my dad used to try really hard to teach me to read. 
and he couldn't understand. My brother and sister could read. There was no problem. Why couldn't I read? And he taught them to read. And, and he'd sort of um, try and tempt me, you know, like, what if there was something I wanted? Would I then learn to read? Because, and it was really hard, I think, for him until I had the diagnosis to understand why I couldn't learn to read. So, you yeah, know. the frustration that he loves you, he cares for you, he wants to see you succeed, and yet there's this barrier. And until you know what you're dealing with, it can be mm. so frustrating. And you talked about toughening up in, in your early days as a school child because there's the no doubt bullying on any continent uh, at that point, right? Yeah, and also dyslexia wasn't recognized. So it wasn't just um, toughening up with other kids around you. It was also with the whole educational system. So the fact that dyslexia wasn't recognized didn't mean that all schools allowed you to have support. So when I went to my first secondary school, because I got expelled, hmm. but at my first secondary school for the whole first year, um, I was there, they refused for me to have special education hmm. because they denied that dyslexia existed. Right, right. And luckily the per- for me, the person who taught me at junior school actually campaigned to get into the secondary school because she just knew I wouldn't, I wouldn't cope at all, you know. So I became quite a naughty child. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because I would say collectively on, on almost every podcast and interview I've done, and I've done dozens and dozens, the one constant, if not one among many, is that there's been someone, one teacher, one adult, somebody in a level of authority – even a parent who's made that effort because they recognized there was something they could do. And without those people early on, maybe it's not the same way today, but when, mm. when without those people, man, we wouldn't see the, the, the beautiful blossom that your world has become. It's really important to recognize those people. Yeah, I, th- I, I think it is. And I think one thing that I was really lucky about was the actual psychologist I had saw me from when I was nine until when I was 16. So in a way, I was able to build up a relationship with her. And she was, you know, from the shaved eyebrow, she was quite a fashionable (laughs) sort of person. She wasn't your, she wasn't a sort of suited and booted person. Right. So she was kind of quite, open to pushing for things but the teacher I had anyway she got into my second school eventually in my second second year but it meant that then I got taken out French Mm. so it was decided it wasn't necessary for me to learn French well I could uh, before we get to the art and the work you're doing which is beautiful and I I want people to go to your website which will promote I want to just uh, ask you about the technology because as we were signing on to do this interview, you were dealing with some technology that's inherent in your world. Um, Mm -hmm. When did it change for the better? When did the technology come into place in your life and what kind of technology are we talking about? Well, technology came into my life in um, the early 90s and – I decided I'd go to college and learn to do digital drawing. 
Um, I failed. I tried to learn a program that was impossible. And it made me feel really like I'm never going to get a hold of this. This is yuck. Um, so that was a disaster. And then my partner's mother's a proofreader, very luckily for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. So she actually taught me to use Word and proofread for me. And I, I actually produced a book of poetry, um, which was really good. And then around the mid-90s, I went and did another course, which was um, arts-related. But by this time, things had moved on, and I did it on an Apple computer and stuff like that. I don't want to name drop too much. But anyway, I did that, and um, I could do it. It was really a bit more intuitive. Yeah, yeah. And I could manage the, the work, so I did that. Then um, I actually managed to buy a computer, and in those days, computers were extortionate. So I had a <laughs> share in a computer with two other people, mm. um, and we shared it. We moved it around our houses. Mm -hmm. But then um, later on, something called Dragon got developed, mm. which is a speech-to-text program, and that made quite a fundamental change to my life. And, and since then, they've updated the technology and they continue to revise and, and profile new technologies that are making it better. I, just, I, I know that there's nothing that replaces the, the spoken word, the written word in, in some people's minds. But for people who have dyslexia, this is a great time with the technology available. Wouldn't you agree? I, th I think it's just amazing. There's things I could do mm. I could never dream of doing. Mm. I mean, my granddad brought me um, a typewriter in the 80s that had a spell check. Ah, uh, yes. So that I could apply for jobs because, you know, it's really hard filling out a job application, mm. if not impossible, mm -hmm. you know, and, and getting through that hurdle is the first hurdle, let alone the interview. So, you know, these things make a really big difference. Yeah. Well, you've done so remarkably well as an independent artist. And let's get into that now. You're known as a multidisciplinary artist. You really work in a lot of different genre. Mm. Um, what did you start doing first, or did you do a lot of things at one time? Well... <laughs> I drew and I made all my own clothes. So I was quite lucky. Punk rock was around when I was a, a sort of teenager. <laughs> so that kind of, and my mum had been a seamstress for, ah, for a fashion designer. Right. So she had really nice fabrics that I could turn into things. And I got into art college by taking carrier bags of clothes that I'd made because I didn't have qualifications. I, I didn't pass well, you had you had the exactly. the real thing. You had the, the hard goods that proved yeah. you could do it. I suppose that's what got you into college. And that got me into college, and then when I was in college, they said, "Oh, you have to take an exam to do a degree," and blah de blah. And then I got in on the degree course, and the secretary at the college I was at typed my thesis and worked with me on my mm. thesis, which I was really lucky because dyslexia still wasn't recognised. 
And then the head of the college said, oh, you have to take an exam because if you ever want to do an MA, you won't get that in and blah, mm. blah. And I got in on an MA and I did that. And um, secretaries wrote all my written work for me. And, um, and I made work and I did a lot of sound work. Um, and I got into performance and live art and... I think for me, the thing is I draw all the time. I just doodle all the time. So mm. that's like my roots. And um, and I just love painting and getting absorbed. So like the image behind me is a manipulated photograph that I've made. Mm. And, um, you know, so I kind of play around with visual imagery all the time. Very creative and beautiful. I wanted to point out a few things that are on your website. And uh, why don't you actually tell us what your website is right now? You spell it out so we get it right. Okay. My website is www.michelle, which is M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, Baharia, spelled B-A-H-A-R. I E R dot co C O dot UK UK. I'll repeat that later. Don't worry. Uh, thank you though for okay. doing that. I always want the guest to make sure that uh, we get it right. Um, I wanted to point out a few things that I've noticed that that I just tooled through that I loved. One is you mentioned clothes and designing clothes. Miss mm-hmm. Havisham's wedding dress. Now, for those of us on this side of the pond who are somewhat literate, we know Miss <laughs> <Ms>. Havisham <laughs> is a Dickens character. Tell, tell us a little bit about that piece that you did. Okay. Well, I think she's like um, the epitome of sort of madness. Yeah. And also about women's place historically in society. So she's this wealthy woman who's about to get married. And, and women were very conditioned by who they married at a particular time mm-hmm. historically. So if you weren't married, you couldn't actually do much. And she got jilted at the altar. So she lives the rest of her life in this wedding dress with the wedding cake in her, in her living room and she adopts um, a child. But for me, she just like is this symbol of mental health. Mm-hmm where you get stuck in a moment in time and the rest of life becomes suspended. And I don't know if you know, but Dickens used to go to asylums and observe patients, and he developed his characters from the patients. Wow, that's um, interesting. And anyway, she gets burnt in her wedding dress, and she's covered in all these cobwebs and, and all this kind of thing. And I kind of think... You know, we we probably today don't understand that marriage was a business agreement mm. originally. So it was about the families. It wasn't about love and romance. It was about families getting this agreement together. And so I wanted to kind of put that in place because, you know, at a, a particular point in history, women were just a commodity to buy and sell. And the wedding dress is that. And kind of at the same time, she's this larger-than-life character who's quite scary. You don't want to become this Havisham. No. But plenty of people probably are. And um, 
and it was also part of um, a wider festival we were doing at the project I ran called Tan Arts, which was the bicentenary of Dickens. So we did a whole thing on um, Dickens News because he used to publish his books originally in the newspaper in serials. And he himself had mental health issues. Indeed. From and, and, and when he, he was he? He was uh, occasionally here in, or I'm in Boston recording with you today, and he would appear as a speaker and read from his stories, and he was a rock star at that time. It's fascinating. <laughs> I, I want to move through a few other things, and one of them is the psychogeography walks. Talk a little bit about the philosophy behind them and, uh, and how they end up working. Okay, so for me, um, dyslexia and mental health get kind of a bit fused. And the walks, a lot of them are to do with largactyl. So to stay well mentally, walking's meant to be really good for you. Mm -hmm. But in the 50s, they developed a drug. And the drug actually um, gives people um, a disability, which means they can't walk. Because if, if people are affected by that side effect, they get like um, a kind of drag on their hip. Almost a paralysis, a semi-paralysis kind of thing? Sort of. Yeah. Yeah, a bit like they've, you know, and also side effects of a lot of mental health drugs can cause right. Parkinson's disease and all sorts. So actually you can't do the one thing for yourself that could help you stay well. So it's kind of partly to highlight that because I remember what, saying to people, what do you think Largactyl is? And they're, oh, a dinosaur, because it's very much like, and it is a dinosaur of drugs. However, us being able to pay attention to our environment is really important for your well-being. So actually to take notice of the environment around you, and that's something that art does all the time. It helps you to engage in the moment and be in the present whereas mental health can sort of keep dragging you in and out. And, and exercise, we all know, is important for all the right reasons. And being out in the fresh air, in many cases, as you take people on these guided tours and involve the art, makes perfect sense. It makes sense on all levels. So it's been very successful, this campaign? They've been brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And also we've done them in the Science Museum. Mm -hmm done them at the South Bank Centre. I've done ones um, at midnight. I like doing the ones at midnight. They're just great fun because you never know what's going to happen or or anything because it's just a different time of day, isn't it? Wow, that's great. Uh, let's talk as well about something, and I hope I say it right, Cool Tan. Is that the organisation you founded? Yeah. Let's yeah, talk about so, that because it, it ties in directly with what your mission statement is. Well... In England, we had squats, <laughs> and um, Cool Town was a suntan lotion factory that got squatted in Brixton. What does that mean, early. squat, to explain? So squat means take over an empty building but not pay rent. Oh, okay, squatters. You still have to pay. Yeah, same still, idea, okay, right. Yeah, you still have to pay electricity and gas and mm -hmm. stuff like that, But and we used to do a lot of that here. And we turned it into an art centre that became a charity. And a lot of the people involved in it were like me. They had dyslexia or they had other things mm -hmm. that in a way excluded us a lot from mainstream because it began in 1991, so quite a long time ago. Um, 
and it moved from the suntan lotion factory to the dole office which was the unemployment office um and then it became a charity um we worked with something like around three thousand people a year mm. who had mental health and creating arts making film making live art um doing art in the wider community like we've got um a tree we've got planted in a local park. We built a bench for the local park because also we tried to really destigmatize how people think about people with disabilities. Right, right. That's wonderful. And by the way, I'm so glad you explained it because I was trying to figure out cool tan. What does the tan have to do with it? I thought it was some kind of Asian mystical connection, but it's it's the tanning company, the yeah, tanning oil. Yeah, suntan oil. I love it. I love it. Now, nobody would use suntan oil. Oh, my you gosh. Know, probably why it went out of business. There's so many other things that you're involved in. Uh, I would love you to share with us uh, a final thought. What advice would you give to your nine-year-old self if you could do it now and look back and or any nine-year-old or 10-year-old or 15-year-old knowing what you know about the struggle and also about the the achievement of success through the struggle i think i would probably say to them it's a human right to learn to read and to be able to read for yourself is a really important thing and to not worry the right person can help you learn how to do that because yeah i felt a bit like smashing my head against a brick wall until i got the right help you know because i could just couldn't do it mm. it wasn't falling into place and and also to to a parent of a child with dyslexia once you've got the right help and you'll know if you've got it because then it will just fly you know, a bit like learning computers. When I was in the wrong class, it didn't work. The minute I got to the right class, it was like I could fly the plane. Oh, nice. And, and, and I think that's having that belief in yourself that it will happen is really important. And, and you're so right. We don't do anything in this life for the most part alone. I mean, those who do want to go it alone, there are a few here and there, but most of us need community. We need help, and there are those who will help us. Um, going forward, your career is, is so busy with all the projects and all that. Are you mapping out exhibits and projects now that COVID is sort of on the wane, thank goodness? is Are you looking forward to an exciting 2022, 2023, and beyond? Yeah, I've just had work that I made during um, the pandemic put into the London Transport Museum. Congratulations. Which was um, digital collages about bus journeys and barriers to bus journeys. And then, and it's the first piece of um, recognition they've had of disabled people using public transport mm. in London in their collection. So I'm really pleased about that. And going forward, so I've got a piece of, um, I've got a solo show coming up in the middle of May called Colours of My Mind, which will be really exciting. I, I, I was just going to say, I'm not an art critic I, by any stretch. I just know what appeals to me. I would use this word for you, among all the other words I've used already, beautiful and stunning. 
I would say it's accessible. In other words, I, I didn't have any trouble understanding the messaging as well as enjoying the aesthetics of it. I, I Very accessible. It's like poetry. If I, re, I haven't read your poetry, but I, I, sometimes I read a poem and I don't know what the heck I just read. Other times it just hits me. Your art seems to do that for me, and I'm sure it does it for hundreds of thousands, if not millions, around the world. So. Oh, I'm really pleased to hear that because yeah. I really like that conversation, that an artist has a conversation. It's so important. And um, so I've got my solo show coming up. Then I've got um, a project over a year and a half that I'm doing around the country called Souvenir in a Suitcase, Mm. um, which I'm doing with groups of people um, and a mixture of refugees and all sorts of people around, around the UK. And it's based on... Um, the fact that I was born in one of the worst places to live in the UK, which is West Croydon. And um, so added to the fact that, oh, you're, you're not very good at school and you're not going to get anywhere. You know, like the careers advisor, she was sort of like, oh, well, maybe you want to go and be a hairdresser or something. You know, there was no thought about what would you like to do and I do cut people's hair as it happens not surprised Uh, you do everything else (laughs) (laughs) um, it's like sculpture but kind of like that wasn't the way the careers officer was angling it and so the idea of souvenirs in a suitcase is to to create our own what's good about here as opposed to you know you're told this is one of the worst places to live so that's a year and a half long project Um, around the UK Um, and I've got some shows in June and July one of the shows in July is in the north of England and I'm open to um, exciting opportunities and residences that's terrific that's terrific well I will repeat your website which is your name m-i-c-h-e-l-l-e that's Michelle and the last name is Baharier, B-A-H-A-R-I-E-R, michellebaharier.co.uk. dot co dot uk. How did I do? Did I do okay? Brilliant, absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, I, I'm just thrilled that you reached out to us. That's what we're doing with this podcast that goes all over the world. We want people like Michelle to reach out to us, and we'll tell you how you can do that. I just want to wish you the best. You're such a delight, and. Uh, um, doing the kind of work not only for the art world and for the world in general, but for specific communities that need the attention. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. And thanks for inviting me. It's nice, isn't it? I feel like, oh, I've been to America this afternoon. Yes, and I've been to Britain uh, at tea time. We're talking in the morning here, your afternoon, and I'm sipping tea, so I feel very much at home. Well, but- this is Richmond. Do you, I don't know if you've heard of Richmond, but that's Richmond Pond. Oh, that's Richmond Pond, the picture behind you. Okay. This yeah, is yeah. this is a studio. <laughs> you, I don't have any artwork. I'm working on my green screen, but I will. Michelle, uh, we wish you the very, very best. God bless. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Dyslexics Wanted. Please feel free to contact us at our new web address, dyslexicswanted.org. That's dyslexicswanted.org. We welcome guest or topic suggestions. We want to share your story. Dyslexics Wanted is a production of the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia.